Welcome to the Book of Mormon Central Come Follow Me podcast with your hosts, Lynn Wilson and John Cho. Shalom. Nice to be with you. This week, we're covering 2 Kings uh, 17 through 25. This last end of the northern tribes and southern tribes. Yeah. So, Captivity of both. It's tragic. So you mentioned previously that 2 Kings covers about 350 year, year period. We've covered the first 50 with Elisha. Yeah. And, and we're now, where are we now? Um, down to... Um, just sh- right shortly before um, Hezekiah, 700. And we're going to cover these 300 years during this time period. Hezekiah is our main character initially and um, in chapter 17. And he's one of the great righteous kings. He's down in the south. We already talked about none of the northern kings really could ever have a claim of being a good person. But Hezekiah was a fabulous man and actually had the prophet Isaiah living with him in the castle, in the palace right there in Jerusalem. And um, I believe that's one reason why they were able to not be taken captive by the Assyrians. But um, we'll go through that. And then we go into the last, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of kings. I think we'll just jump from the righteous Hezekiah to the righteous Josiah, or at least um that's the way it's recorded in history. Um, the northern tribes are taken after, um, right at the beginning, and then the southern tribes are taken after Josiah's family finishes reigning. We have Josiah and then four of his sons and one grand, or three of his sons and one grandson. But all this overlaps with so many prophets. Um, so if we were taking it chronologically, we'd have to stop and add in, um, you know, Isaiah and um Jonah and Micah, and um, we've already talked about Elisha and Elijah, but we would be able to add in Amos and Obadiah. And um, anyway, there's beautiful uh, um, prophets that fit into this time period of this 300-year block. So a lot of the prophets we'll read about later time period-wise mm-hmm. are actually covering the So it's good to know kings. this period of time. And I think um, we'll basically focus on uh, about 720 B.C. and 620 B.C. So that that about 600 and 700 B.C. around around those two time periods when we look at these two kings, um, they just give such a s- short, limited information on the others. It's hard to um, get it. They don't have much personality evolved. But do you want to jump into the text, or Let's do you want to talk the about that? Okay. Yeah. I still think that the um, King Hezekiah has got to be one of my all-time favorites as he begins here. Um, in chapter 17, he's a reigning in Jerusalem um, at the direction of the prophet Isaiah. And we just have such blessings coming to you when you obey the prophet is the message. And he's a very humble, repentant man. And he comes at, at a time of great upheaval. You know, we have the Assyrians who have just taken the northern tribes who are now coming down and taking all the outlying cities around him. And so he's calling all the people of Judah to come into Jerusalem and get within the walls of the city. And let's he builds this enormous wall around it. And um, there's a siege that goes on. And he's, he, he doesn't want the water supply to be used by the Assyrians. And so he begs um, um, the prophet and the Lord, and they are inspired with this plan. They dig through solid rock 1,750 feet 
down to the pool of Siloam where they are able to access their source of water to get water to come up into the city during the siege. Just amazing. And they have people working at both ends. And the stories are, you can read them in First Chronicles and in Kings here, just just powerful stories of how they're um, guided so that they can hear each other tapping until they finally meet in the center and the water can flow through. Hmm. Just just powerful. In fact, um, if you ever go to Israel, make Make sure you go. Uh, uh, you and I have both done it, John. Yeah. I'm just telling our listeners, uh, go go through this water water that is source. True. I I remember uh, you can yeah you can see evidence of them sort of stopping and you know turning and yeah a lot of water. It's <laughs> oh, a lot of water. Yeah, what a what a blessing. But um, again, the the Lord. Um, is fighting his battles. The Lord is helping him. And the and at this time, when the northern um, Assyria is swooping down and trying to take everyone, it's just crazy um, that tiny little Judah thinks that they can stand on their own, you know. And yet, because of the blessings of the Lord, they're protected. It's just stepping back and looking at it. It's just miraculous. But poor King Hezekiah gets sick and he's going to die. In fact, Isaiah says he's going to die. And that's when um, I think it's pretty powerful that um, he goes to the temple to pray in sackcloth and ashes. And he humbles himself and he, and he begs the Lord to let him um, continue to help to save his life so that he can help build um Judah and the Lord lengthens his life. And you know, the story about the, uh, the time machine, um, sundial changing the 10 degrees backwards, you know, really, uh, amazing that, and that's what the Lord gives him as a sign is the 10 degrees difference on the sundial. And sure enough, he's able to have those 15 years of life extended. And he's a great servant of God and a humble, good man who, just does wonderful things. What else do you love about this great king? Well, I'm just trying to find examples of him in the past, and I don't find one. Um, I mean, David and Solomon started out well, but ended tragically, both of them. Yeah. <laughs> Hezekiah right. is our first enduring to the end right. good guy, isn't he? Right. And, and his prayer isn't for wealth or even wisdom, right? It's, it's you know, extend my life so I can serve. Yeah. it's Here we are, chapter 19, 2 Kings nineteen fifteen, And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubim, He's referring to the uh, mercy seat as the throne of God. Thou art God, even alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, and thou hast made the heavens and the earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Lord, open thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he, oh, oh, this is a different one. I'm sorry. I was reading the wrong one, but this is another great prayer. You just get the, the feeling of how, how humble he is. Um, Earlier is when he's praying for his, his life to be extended. But here's another great prayer um, when he, um, he receives this letter from Sennacherib, um, from the Syrian um, general who says, we're coming down and taking you out. And the prophet Isaiah in verse 20 um, says, don't even don't even worry about it. You know, this is um, this is going to be just fine. And right. we're going to be saved if we can stay, if we can trust in the Holy One of Israel. That's verse 22. Trust in the Holy One of Israel. And um, 
But I just love the fact that Hezekiah, um, this great king, goes to the temple, prostrates himself on the ground. God, help us. You know, this is, he's just so humble and he has so much faith. And um, no matter how awful the task is, he knows that the Lord can can help in some way. And um, skipping down to um, verse 34 in chapter 19? Yes, yeah, still in 19. I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians. And the numbers add up to 5,180. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Uh, that's one of my boys' favorite verses when they were little. They arose as dead corpses. And then it sounds like um, Sennacherib's kids kill him, you know, his his sons when he gets back home. But they hear a rumor and they leave. You know, when the Lord fights your battles, um, you're saved. It's it's just amazing. Um, so his life is extended, and um, but he does pay tribute to the Babylonians. So the Assyrians don't take them down, but during this time— um, Judah starts paying a lot of a lot of taxes first to the Assyrians, then to the Egyptians, and finally to the Babylonians over the next hundred years. And um, unfortunately, this wonderful king has wicked children, and I don't know why he puts this wicked Manasseh on the throne. But Manasseh reigns for fifty-five years, and. His idolatry is so horrific, it reminds me of Ahab's in the north, Manasseh in the south. And then uh, his son, Ammon, another very, very wicked guy, um, reigns only, though, for two years. So we've got— maybe, maybe this is why he prayed to live a little longer. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> trying to have a better son coming on. That's a good point. But the idolatry that just fled right in, I just thought, why can't these people hold on to the truths? And then I look at our own generation, and I see people leaving right and left. They, they can't hold on. They, what, is, what is the appeal of idolatry in the modern parallel, do you think? I assume that we have to go back to Elder um, Maxwell, who said the root of all sin is selfishness, and President Benyon, who said the root of all sin is pride— which really is selfishness. That's right. And then um, the message that we talked about earlier, that the love of money and the love of materialism or the love of pride or power um, really brings us all down. And I, and I assume that idolatry is serving what you want rather than serving what God wants. I think that's the key here because a false God, by definition, is someone you made up or someone else made up for you, Right. Um, and so it's not real, which means you get to, it gets to be whatever you want it to be. Right. And so it's your vain imaginations to use mm -hmm. a different part of the But scriptures. I even see it as we worship things that aren't even gods now. I mean, we worship phones. We spend our time and our money right. on things that are not, um, significant, you know, on well, the cars, Lord, clothing. The Lord repeatedly asks hard things from us, right? You know, going back to Elijah, you know, get in the widow, give me this. First and then and then and then the miracle comes right, mm -hmm. um, but with these false gods, are modern day or whatnot, you know, yes, okay, I have to work extra hard for this new car or something like that, but they seem to be absolutely feeding this ego, yeah, this, this self-centered materialistic you know, self 
materialism compared to what Hezekiah was like, you know, dressed as a king, dressed himself in sackcloth and humbled himself and asked Isaiah what needs to happen. And going to the Lord himself in the temple, prostrating himself on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please, please help us. Yeah. It's the humility, the meekness. I think it's, I always love asking questions when I'm reading the scriptures and asking questions when I go to general conference, asking questions when I even go to sacrament meeting, because I feel if I can stay in a, in a mode of seeking being meek, mm. trying to be teachable, trying to learn from my God, um, that my heart will stay softer and I'll be able to hear his voice. And I see um, Hezekiah as a very meek and humble man. We're told Moses was the most meek of all, but Manasseh, Ammon, horrific. And then Josiah, we're down to the last five kings of Judah before they're all taken away. And Josiah comes in about 640 BC. So now we're down to, you know, the time of probably when Lehi, Lehi was yeah. born and living in Jerusalem. And, you know, Josiah was um, this this wicked time of Ammon and Manasseh. They're killing off everybody's, <laughs> so that you won't, all the heirs. But Josiah was taken and hidden and um, raised in the temple by these priests. And then at age eight, they bring him out and say, here's the king. And so I assume that a lot of the things that happened during Josiah's reign are not from an eight-year-old, but from um, the influence of these better people around him, these good people around him. Um, And he is portrayed in the scripture as the best of the best. I mean, whoever these authors were, I think they knew him um, in, in such a fashion that they really felt like his reforms were fabulous. Um, there's That has been brought into question, and we'll talk about that a little bit um, in a few minutes. But I'd, let's just start with chapter 22, verse 1. Yeah. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Um, but he starts feeling the Spirit when he's 16, according to First Chronicles 32, when you read the two in conjunction. And his reforms start at age 20. You know, he's taking down these idols. I just, my, just allow your imagination to go. You're going into the temple. There's the, his, his wicked ancestors to put these figure, figurines in the temple. So they're worshiping Baal and other fake gods, even in the temple. They tear him down. He's, he's tearing down the groves. He's burning up things. And he repairs the temple. He's starting to pay the workers. Finally, he gets the money out of the temple and stops paying for bribery and does it the right way. And um, verse 22... Uh, or chapter 22, verse 8, is when um, one of the people helping in cleaning up and and rebuilding finds this old book of Deuteronomy. And they come in and they read it to him. And that's verse 10. They read it before the king. And then the king then reads it before the people. And that's when I keep wondering, okay, now we're down to 620 BC. Did Lehi and Sariah hear this. It's 20 years before they left. Um, I don't know how old their boys are. They're old enough to be married. So probably f- the youngest is 14 at, at a minimum, you know. And um, I really am grateful that we have the blessings of the Book of Mormon to shed light on this time period because it sounds like um, Jeremiah is not the prophet there at the time. So Josiah goes to a prophetess named Hilda. This is verses 16 through 20. 
2 Kings 22, 16 to 20. And Hilda, I mean, we don't have too many prophetesses, so I was pretty excited to, to read about this one. We have a lot of fabulous women, though, in the Old Testament. And we've read so many in Kings. They have fabulous women, um, figures of righteousness. But here, um, we learn that Hilda's dad kept the king's clothes or the temple's clothing. Um, it's a little bit unclear in the Hebrew. Um, and she says, this is what the Lord said. I am going to bring disaster on this place unto this people, according to the everlasting written in the book of the king of the judges, the Judah that has read. But your eyes will not see all the disaster. So, so Josiah will be saved from seeing the disaster. But yes, all these prophecies. And do you remember in Deuteronomy 17, it says what you need to do if you're ever going to have a king and who you should not have and who you should not allow. Well, almost every single king did not follow that advice, you know, almost, you know, we've got three or four good ones. Yeah. Two (laughs) great ones and and three or four good ones down in Judah, at least. Um, But when they read the book of the law to the people, do you see verse one through three of chapter 23? Um, And it, it, it appears that um, quote, the King stood by a pillar and, and this is the pillar that's standing at the, at the front of the temple. And so he's standing in an official spot claiming where he stands is, um, he is speaking for the word of God. And he made a covenant with the Lord to, I love that. He's at the temple making covenants with the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and with all their soul to perform the words, which the covenant that were written in this book and all the people stood to the covenant. You know, they are, um, Deuteronomy 22, 10, um, they are following through. They are going to do their best. And I wonder if Lehi was there, if he, as a younger man, heard this and agreed to stand beside the king on this one and, um, or stand beside the, the law, the word of God. Um, so that's, that's I love powerful. That, I love that imagery. Right, standing I mean, he, in the temple beside the pillar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, mm-hmm. in, reading the well, word this of God. idea of Lehi hearing this and him shaping him, and even as he clearly Lehi clearly has a deep love of his city and his country, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the king's calling everybody there, yeah. and he's living there then, because it says he lived in Jerusalem all his days, right? I, I think, um, and and he becomes a prophet, and um. Let's just keep reading 23 before we go to the Book of Mormon. Um, skipping down in Second Kings 23 down to verse 21 and 27. It's also in Chronicles 35. But it says he's 26 years old now. He's been reigning for 18 years. And, um, quote, Josiah kept a Passover unto the Lord in Jerusalem. And then it starts talking about how they're going to prepare and what they're going to kill. And it's, it gives you a feel for how many people are there. Do you remember back in um, when they first had the Passover in Exodus, the Lord says, let's make sure we're not wasting any food. So let's have at least 10 people for every little lamb. Mm -hmm. So I'm taking these numbers and multiplying the, some of them, at least the sheep by 10. But listen to this, Josiah gave the people 33,000 bullocks, 2,600 small cattle, 
300 oxen. And then the princes give 5,000 small cattle, 500 oxen. You know, and then he talks about the priests, the Levites, and they had singers and porters, and they all are making ready. You know, this is at the largest feast that's ever been held. It sounds to me like you've got well over half a million people there, possibly even a million people coming in from all of Judea, all of the land of Palestine into this Passover. And it is an enormous feast. I don't know how they, they held it all. Um, why don't you read verse 25? It's so beautiful. 23? Verse 20, uh, sorry. Cha- yeah, chapter 23, verse 25. And like, him, uh, and like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Neither after him arose any there any like him. Well, and that's the tragedy. No one came after him at all that was good enough. His sons were horrific. Again, we have wicked sons taking the place again. It's it's really quite tragic. And um, one reason why I sort of feel that perhaps um, the authors may have a perspective that's different is because of the way he dies. We know that it's 600 B.C., um, give or take 50 years, that the entire ancient world is very um, um, mobile. And the Egyptians are trading with the Assyrians and the Babylonians are trading with the Greeks and the Persians. And everyone has, they're in smaller levels at this time, you know, but everyone is very mobile. And they had phenomenal water um, crafts and they were traveling places. I was in, I was in, in Paris, when I when I lived there, I was looking in an archaeological museum. They had an entire room on metal from 600 BC, and it came from all over the Mediterranean, clear up in in Paris area. And they even had a steel bow from 600 BC. So it's dating to this period of time. They had fabulous metallurgy, great military works, and if people are all moving around, the Assyrians have become decimated. And so the Egyptians want to go north and take over Assyria, but the Babylonians want to take over the Assyria. And so the the Egyptians ask um, Josiah, we don't want to fight you. We just want to get through your property to get up to Assyria to take over some of that land, you know, but we don't want to hurt you. Well, Josiah, it doesn't sound like he asks a prophet. He doesn't ask for any advice from somebody who would know. But um, we're told in Kings 23 verse 28 uh, that the... The prophet Nico is, I mean, the Pharaoh, excuse me, the Pharaoh Nico is asking him, you know, can you give me leave? And he says, no way. And he starts fighting him a terrible tax. And it's just tragic what happens. But um, he, he, let me just read this um, last part of it here. Um, he, he, He's kill, uh, one of the Egyptians, this is coming from Josephus, one of the Egyptians shot an arrow at him and put an end to his eagerness of fighting. <laughs> Isn't that tragic? For being solely, sorely wounded, he commanded a retreat to be sounded to his army, and he returned to Jerusalem and died of that wound. So um, we've got a lot of records about this fight, this battle, and Josiah's death at age 39 completely um, brought a end of the reforms and an end of the um, righteous reign. And from now on is when we get the need for more and more prophets coming in. And first, um, 
Well, I should have told you what Josiah's name means, because I think it's always significant to see God supports or heals. So there had been wounding done by Manasseh for 55 years and Ammon's son. And yet Josiah is raised up starting at age eight years old, put on the throne or probably to be a puppet of those older. But he tried to do what was right. And then he has these um, sons. And strangely enough, it's his fourth son, um, Jehoiaz. That's at least the name that they choose to use as his throne name. And the name is God will fortify. But he only lasts three months before the the Egyptians come in. And that Pharaoh Nico just takes him right down. He only lasts three months. And then another son comes to the throne. And his name is Eliakim, but it's changed to Jehoiakim, which means Jehovah, the J-E, you know, Jehovah, raises up or sets up. Um, and he he lasts for a few years, but unfortunately, um, he's paying taxes to Egypt, and then Babylon comes in, and we're told in, let's just look at chapter 23, um, verse 36. Okay. You want to read it? Yeah, verse 36. And 37. They're both good. Yeah. Sure. And Jehoiakim was 20 and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zebudah, daughter of uh, Padiah of Rumah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. So we don't get much information on him except for the fact that he's evil and he's following um, the bad examples. Um, But if we look at the other prophets, so at the same time, Daniel is already being taken captive to Babylon and um, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you know, we have a lot of prophets coming through here. Daniel 1.1 says about this time, you know, right before 600 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, who's in from Babylon, conquered Egypt. So Egypt is trying to go north and conquered. And there's a lot going back and forth um, on this political play right here. And you have to know who the king of each place is. So I always keep a chart of here's the kings of <laughs> when I'm reading this book of Kings, I need a chart of who the kings are. I like a map. And then I want to see who the kings in the neighborhood are. So when I read these names, I know who they are. So um, Nebuchadnezzar conquered Egypt and he planned to take Jehoiakim captive, but instead he took um, about, it, it, it talks later about being about 10,000 of the wealthy and the famous and the educated. And he left Jehoiakim to pay tribute to Babylon. So for three years, Jehoiakim starts paying tribute. Um, but so he paid tribute first to Egypt and now to, um, um, as a vassal to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he's just a puppet king, but, um, and all during this time, all these prophets, Habakkuk, Obadiah, I would add Lehi, um, are, are preaching some of them like Daniel in Babylon, but let's just open up to the, the book of Mormon here. Um, first Nephi one, four in the same year, there came many prophets prophesying unto the people that they must repent or the great city Jerusalem must be destroyed. Oh, I forgot to read you at the beginning. Um, he says in the commencement of the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. So there we, we know um, that Nebuchadnezzar has now taken. So the Babylonians take three different groups out of Jerusalem. The first deportation is 605. So that's before Lehi's family leaves. That's when he takes those people that we read about in Daniel. And um, we hear, also read about it in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 46. And then the second deportation is, you know, a decade or two later. And then the last deportation 
is in 587. And that's when they burn everything. And we found a whole history on this entire event written on these clay tablets that were fired in Babylon. They're called the Babylonian Chronicles. And I've seen them. They're in the British Museum. You can go and look at them there. But I just want to read a portion of this one. It's written um, from 605 um, about this first deportation. Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city of Judah and on the second day of the month, and he seized the city and captured the king. And he appointed there a king of his own choice, Zedekiah is his, is his throne name. Man, um, Mataniah is his other name. And he received its heavy tribute and sent him to Babylon. So um, they don't tell the whole story here, but as we put all the pieces together, uh, Zedekiah was just a puppet and he starts paying rent or paying his dues to Nebuchadnezzar, but then he gets mad and he's on the throne 11 years and Nebuchadnezzar comes down to, to punish him and he kills all of his sons in front of him and he puts out his eyes and puts him in chains and walks him back to um, Babylon. But there was a baby that he didn't know about. And so Nebuchadnezzar did not kill this baby because the baby was being nursed by a wet nurse out of the, out, out of the palace. Um, and we'll talk about... Um, about her in the book of Omni, about that baby, I mean, in the book of Omni. Do you remember, do you remember what happens there? So um, Lehi's preaching, and um, at the same time, Lehi's family is going to leave in 600 BC. It's the Mulekites. Yes, it's the Mulekites. So this is Omni. I'm going to start in verse 16. Or do you have it? Do you 15, want to read it? 15, yeah. Yeah, start in 15 if you want to, sure. Yeah, behold, it came to us, and Mosiah discovered that the people of Zarahemla came out from Jerusalem at the time of Zedekiah, king of Judah, was carried away captive into Babylon. And they journeyed in the wilderness and were brought by the hand of the Lord across the great waters into the land where Mosiah discovered them. And they had dwelt there from that time forth. And if we continue on and read in Helaman, there's a couple other t places that tell us that the Mulekites kept this baby of Zedekiah. And it's interesting, the name Mulekite is M-L-K. It's, it's, it's the Hebrew for king. Mm -hmm. So this, these are the king people. These are the people that brought the king's baby. We do hear about the king's people in the Book of Mormon, but we didn't attach them to the Mulekites. But maybe we should. Interesting. Um, because that's what their name means. Just take out the vowels in the ancient languages um, because they didn't have them. And Mulekite, M-L-K, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, Melech, whatever it is, Melech Zadok, whatever. Um, and so Zedekiah's youngest son is one of those who become part of the people of Zarahemla. And I know that there was a lot of intermarriage between the people from the time of the Jaredites and the people from Lehites. So I don't want to ever suggest that they were, they were pure, but um, over the thousands of years of Book of Mormon history, we get part of that blood of Zedekiah in these people. And um, after at the time that Zedekiah, after Zedekiah is taken, we're told in second Kings, going back to the old Testament, chapter 25 um, verses eight, well, starting at verse 8, in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, 
he set fire to the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Every important building was burned down and skipped down. He carried into exile the people who remained in the city along with the rest of the populace. And then going down to about verse 12, but the commander he left behind and some of the poorest people, of the land to work the vineyards, of the fields. Um, so this is the absolute third time. And we have beautiful carvings that are taken um, and made from this period of time that, um, we can see in museums now of them carrying the menorah out of the temple and carrying the sacred things. Um, but we know that the Lord, those that listened to the prophet were spared. Um, and um, Lehi took his group and um, those that followed the little baby Mulek. Not only do we read about it in first Nephi, but also first Nephi chapter five talks about Zedekiah's reign. And then I mentioned Helaman chapter six and chapter eight tells us that it was Zedekiah's son. It was, they called him Mulek, but in the Book of Mormon, but MLK is king. So however you want to pronounce Melek, Mulek, um, he escaped and, and they made it. But I, the, what do you learn from this? What are your lessons? That follow the prophet is up there follow huge. Follow the prophet. And <laughs> destruction. As I look for Christ, as you reminded us to always read our scriptures, I just see this is a sign of the second coming. We will be destroyed if we are not following the prophet. Uh, and the Lord gives plenty of time and plenty of warning. Mm-hmm. I mean, just in our study of Kings and, and really mm-hmm. since what Moses until now, mm-hmm. um, there's parts where Israel listens, but for the most part, <laughs> it's the opposite, right? It's this decay mm-hmm. um, politically, et cetera. You know, you know, and I want to give them a break by saying they didn't have the scriptures to read every day. True. They, you know, if you were one of two million people, could you have really heard Moses or were you hearing it third and fourth hand? You know, I just, for the average Joe, I just feel like we are in a whole different environment. Yeah. We have access to a prophet. We can listen to his words every hour of the day if we chose to. We have access to our Savior's teachings. We have access to these stories. I just feel like our faith can be built by the word of God. We have no need to falter in our testimonies when we have so many scriptures. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And and in spite of all of this, I guess, wickedness and and so many people turning away from the Lord and ignoring him, he just gives so many opportunities. To repent. Yeah, and just return. reading these scriptures in sequence, you know, uh thoroughly and and talking about it. You know, um, I just absolutely see that, um, I would say this metaphor that the Savior gives of of a hen, right? Mm. Like this is, he absolutely has done this, right? Think of the sheer number of prophets. We we listed the number of prophets, right? How many prophets prophesied of this, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and tried to warn and prepare the people? And we've barely touched the surface. We've got to jump into the prophets next now that we've finished 1 Kings and 2 Kings. We have the rest of the Old Testament talks about this. So I feel yeah. like the Lord gave plenty of, of warning. And again, with this lens of this is the least painful thing that I can do for my people, my individual I want, children. I want them to learn. And this is yeah. how they can best learn. And sometimes trials bring us to our knees more than they do. Than times they do. Of we hear this from the Book of Mormon. You can humble yourself or you will be humbled. Um, and so I see this. This to me is tragic because I'm reading this, the burning of the temple, et cetera, everything that David and Solomon went through to build it. 
And, you know, archaeologically, they found this whole layer of burnt buildings. And in the burnt buildings, they found so many things that testify that this story actually happened. But my favorite thing that they found is they've gone down to 600 B.C. level Mm -hmm. at this time. It's the oldest scripture that's ever been found in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And guess what it's written on? Do you remember? Metal plates, I think. No, it was a steel. It was was silver. It was a silver silver scroll. Mm. But it is on metal. It just wasn't a plate. It was on a little teeny scroll. And it's right outside of Jerusalem. And it was the priestly benediction. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. Deuteronomy 6, 23. The Lord bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you. So maybe we should end with that beautiful hope that as the Lord's face shines upon you, we can feel the spirit of the Lord in our lives and hold to our covenants and read our scriptures with soft, meek, humble hearts, with prayerful questions ascending to the Lord. Yeah. God bless you. We'll see you you next week for Ezra and Nehemiah for the return (laughs) 70 years later. It's going to be great. Looking forward to it. Bye-bye.